0: Indigenous Rights Radio, because knowledge is power. The evidence is indisputable. The areas occupied and managed by indigenous peoples span 24% of the global terrestrial surface, and they are home to 80% of the world's remaining biodiversity. This is no coincidence. Indigenous peoples have known how to live on and take care of the land since time immemorial. We know that wherever you find cultural diversity, you will be sure to find biological diversity. In fact, globally, there are overlaps of areas rich in biodiversity with areas of cultural and linguistic diversity. This is Dele. hi everyone. Uh, my name is Lakpanuri Serpa. I am the environment program coordinator of the Asia Indigenous Peoples Pact. Uh, Asia Indigenous Peoples Pact is a regional network of indigenous peoples that works in 14 countries. But I'm also the co-chair, one of the co-chair of the International Indigenous Forum on Biodiversity. So before we came to COP15, the International Indigenous Forum on Biodiversity had a series of meetings. Like every week, we met online and went through all the goals and targets, reviewed the takes and came prepared uh, to, to engage constructively in, in COP15. And now today is like almost the end, three days more uh, and end of the second week. So I would like to share some of the reflections of, of uh, International Indigenous Forum on bio, uh, biodiversity in general. So if you really look the, the current draft text, uh, you will see many places where indigenous peoples have been explicitly reflected, where the rights of indigenous peoples have also been um, included. Uh, For example, if you see the section BBs, uh, there is a specific element on the roles and contribution of indigenous peoples, and also that section context reference to the free prior and from consent of indigenous peoples including the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and this specific reference to Ehbik and UNDRIP is quite good even though the current text is in the bracket but having that text in the uh, uh, in the section BVs is good because the spirit of the section BBs is that the elements reflected in that section will actually be also taken into account when they implement the different goals and targets, right? So it's cross-cutting all over. And if that text gets out of the bracket, I think that would be a strong basis for indigenous peoples to really, um, uh, how to call that, um, strengthen the engagement at the national level. The other element that's there, which I, I think is very positive, is that element on human rights-based approach, which is very explicitly mentioned in the Section BBs as well. And that's something indigenous peoples and local communities and even the civil society in general are really pushing that um, that human rights-based approach should be central in the post-2020 global biodiversity framework. And, and I ha- I'm happy that element is still there as part of the Section BBs. There are also other good elements uh, within that section, but those are the, how to call that, the key highlights, let's say, of uh, where we have been closely following. The others, uh, other al- uh, goals and targets that uh, explicitly reference to the indigenous peoples uh, is there is a one target, and I think it's 20 or 21, that explicitly refers to the land territories and resources of Indigenous peoples and also have explicit reference to the environmental human rights defenders. And this is something uh, a bit different than what it was before, because if you see the IT target before, there was no reference to the human rights. And, and also, there were so many missed opportunities when they actually implemented the uh, IT targets. There were invis- Indigenous peoples who were very in- invisible and there are no reporting of the contribution of indigenous people. So if you look into the the, the human rights element that is reflected in the current draft, it, it looks promising if everything that's there gets out of the bracket uh, and and is included in the final agreement of the post 2020, that will be, how to call that, uh, uh, a very good uh, outcome of COP15 that puts emphasis on, on, on the much needed Human rights-based approach to the post-2020, right? And the the other thing that we have been closely following in in, in the uh, COP15 is on conservation. Um, uh, we are happy that the the element on equitable governance it's there because one of the challenges that we have been facing in different countries all over the world is really our access to to decision-making process, uh, how decision-making takes takes place, or uh, how does the, or because there is no participation of indigenous, we're not in the driver's seat of decision-making basically, right? So it's, it's equitable governance is there, which is good. But one of the proposals that indigenous peoples are making um, through different interventions is that we do not want our territories and customary lands and water to be part of the, the protected areas and OECM. Our proposal is to have a separate pathway for it to be recognized and we strongly feel that if the target three explicitly includes that as as a, a third pathway, it will be a very strong basis for indigenous peoples and local communities to actually make our contributions more visible, right? And this has already been confirmed by science, by the report of the IPBES that the resources, land and territories resources managed by indigenous peoples are delivering better than the state-managed, uh, uh, let's say, protected areas. So I think this is a very good opportunity for the parties to actually respect, acknowledge the contribution that indigenous peoples and local communities have been making for many, many years, right? But then, as you know, the some of the, the questions that parties are asking to us in terms of what would be the criteria, what would be the definition, and also referring to the number of years, like almost 10 years that it took for OECM to have those criteria in place, I think should not be a basis not to uh, recognize indigenous peoples' territories and customary lands and water as a third pathway, because I think it's really a time for, for the parties and the government to have that recognized as a third pathway, to set a precedence that we really value the contribution of Indigenous peoples and we really want to respect the the, the lands, territories, and resources of Indigenous peoples. And I mean, we if we look into the long run, for example, and if we look into the long run, that the process to actually define criteria and, and and you know the definition actually the parties can start a process after the 415 15 engage indigenous peoples and local communities and with their leadership can come out with some elements that is currently missing and it may not take 10 years like oecm it could be five years it could be three four years but then if you really see the impact that will make in the long run let's say 2015 this could be something very promising to, uh, to achieve that living in. Harm, uh, CBD vision of living in harmony with nature. So uh, I think it would be very good for parties to reflect from the other side and, and not really see what's not there, but should see in a way what can we do to actually to bring those elements or start a process to bring those elements. I think that should be the way to look into. So for me, of course, we're engaging in a process and are trying to influence um, Uh, trying to make as strong elements in human rights as possible. But for me, what really matters is what happens in the ground, because there has been so many international agreements on on, on so many uh, promises, but things have not really changed in the ground. There are a lot of human rights violations happening. There are, uh, how to call that, people being evicted from their traditional lands. And this happens because of the mindset that nature and people are do not coexist, or they are separate. That's the the way uh, they look into, it and that's the result of the fortress conservation that is happening. So for me, whatever will come out from COP15, the the outcome of that will really depend on how the parties will actually revise the NBSAP and and. And in that process of revision of NBSUB, how will the full and effective participation of indigenous peoples are ensured? And how that NBSUB actually will be implemented, right? Because eventually the implementations should happen at the national and local level. And if we do not undo or if we do not reverse the business as usual uh, approach to conservation, I think we'll be continuing the same. And it may be even more. And I think to avoid that, there is a very good opportunity for uh, the parties to recognize the proposals of indigenous peoples and and, and really facilitate a very strong partnership with indigenous peoples and local communities. So for me, I think I would feel that we have achieved something uh, at the COP15, if and only if the rights of indigenous peoples to their land, territories and resources are adequately and strongly reflected throughout different goals and targets but also in the indicator because that's where the reporting happens right because if we only reflect our rights in the the goals and targets but then there is no uh, indicators relating to our rights then there is no way that country will report to that so I think one of the elements that should be strongly highlighted as a high level indicator it should should be really on the land tenure security and I, I think that's something that we're still fighting for and it's good to see At least one high level indicator on land tenure in in, in target one. But we really want that target to be a cross cutting, uh, sorry, that indicator to be a cross cutting indicator for different uh, targets. Um, So that's the target uh, of of IAFP. Uh, We need to see how it goes. (laughs) For more on the rights of indigenous peoples, visit cs.org and follow Cultural Survival on Facebook and Twitter.